everyone. I'm Linda McHenry, host of The Writer's Voice, and my guest today is Geza Tatralier. How are you, Geza? Fine, thank you, and thank you for having me on. Hello, everyone. I'm thrilled to have you because you have such a tremendous body of work behind you, and it's varied. You have published many international thrillers, Five. three memoirs, a couple of poetry books, and one children's book, and I believe you have a second children's book coming right. up, you're hoping, right? Right, and I have another uh, uh, poetry manuscript that's uh, coming up, and I actually have a short story collection that's about to be published this spring, and also another thriller later. This so you just write. You're a writer. You're just happy to I, write I anything, right? I just love writing. It's a fabulous <laughs> process. So what do you do with your mind? Like, how do you, like, when you're writing, do you write multiple things at the same time? Like, can you be writing a thriller and a poems at the same time? Or do you have to stick on one track? Because I know some writers do that, some writers can't. What's your take on that? Uh, absolutely. I, I work on different things at the same time. Uh, I find the process of writing thrillers quite different from writing a poem. Uh -huh. Poem is playing around with words to, to paint a picture or capture a feeling. Whereas a thriller, it's a, a much more laborious process and it involves a lot of research and then uh, letting that gel and the story move in different directions. So it, I enjoy both processes a lot. And you don't have any problem going back and forth? because no. you know, I know I've done my studying about how your brain works, going from your right brain to your left brain right. with the details and the creative. And I don't usually have a problem going back and forth. But I mean, there are times when I just have to get my mind Focus, set, yeah. you know, in one way. Now, the next thing I want to talk about is that memoir you wrote about the 76 Olympics. You were an epi fencer and you represented Canada right. in that. Why don't you hold the book cover up so sure. people can see it? That's and then true. I am not going to spoil what is so interesting about this. I'm going to let you in just a minute or two tell us about what prompted that memoir and how unique that story is. Okay, it's called The Fences, as you see. And uh, the, the memoir was prompted by my experience at the Montreal 1976 Olympics, where I represented Canada as Linda said. And over the years before that, fencing for Canada internationally, I had befriended this Romanian-Hungarian fencer. He was a wonderful fencer. And uh, he was somewhat younger than I was at the time. He was 21 at the Olympics. I was 26, I think. And he approached me at the end of the games and asked, Geza, what, ha what would happen if I stayed here? So I had to sort of take him through the process and, and help him make the approaches. And it was quite, it's quite a thrilling story at the end of the day with uh, some of the thugs from the Romanian uh, the equivalent of the KGB, mm -hmm. Securitate getting involved. And uh, mm -hmm. there, there were some other defections at the Olympics in Russia, et cetera, Romania. But this mm -hmm. one well, was a successful one. Mm -hmm. I helped him approach the right Canadian authorities who helped him stay in Canada. And it's actually a wonderful story because uh, there's tragedy involved uh, with the girl that, that who helped, that helped stabilize him. And then, but, but at the same time, he was happy and he's now a very successful psychologist in Toronto. So, And are you still in touch with him? Do you yes, still communicate yes, with him? Yes, I had a feeling. Yes, now, yes. contrast this with your first memoir, because a, a lot of people think that when it comes to a memoir, you tell your whole life story, and it's not an autobiography. And then other people say, well, gee, I didn't have this exciting event like being a fencer at the Olympics and helping somebody mm -hmm. defect. I just have an ordinary life. Why don't you tell us about your first memoir and how that's different in how people can write memoirs without having to be a whole life story or a big, you know, worldwide event that everybody knows about. Right. Well, the first memoir is the story of my family's escape from Hungary, from Stalinist Hungary in 1956 during the revolution. I was a seven-year-old child at the time. So I remembered the story 
like a movie. It was all pictures and stuff in my mind because it was, I knew it was a momentous event, but I didn't fully appreciate what was going on. And it was honestly only later that I put it all together and I did some historical research around it as well. So uh, the initial draft of the memoir uh, I first wrote really for my family to the, who had an experience, experience of some of the uh, family and friends. And uh, eventually they got me to build it into more of a story with the, the historical context around it and uh, get it published. So it's a, a very thrilling story as well because uh, we were caught twice by the uh, Russians and the secret police and uh, the third time we were lucky and got through to Austria. Now, how many people in your family? I haven't read the memoir. My father and mother and uh, my brother was nine at the time and my three-year-old sister, who actually my father carried for. So there was five of you then? There, there were five of us, yes. Wow, yes. wow. And so, so and, and basically my parents, they had uh, wanted to leave for quite some time since after the war when mm -hmm. the Russians took over. Mm -hmm. Life was pretty awful. Yeah. And uh, they were desperate, especially my mother was desperate to get us out, out and give us a better life in yeah. a free country like Canada. And uh, it, it was successful. I mean, it, I wouldn't be the same person I am now without a life-shaping yeah. event. Well, and don't you think it's interesting how you have a situation like that that ends well, where people take this tremendous risk, okay? Yeah. And, 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 and it is successful. Don't you think that that paints your perspective of the world and of your life and the things that you can do. I know you've done a tremendous number of things, okay, in your professional career with your writing. Don't you think your experiences color you? Absolutely, absolutely. It totally colored me, it totally shaped me. As I said, I wouldn't, mm -hmm. wouldn't be the same person I am. And also it gave me sort of a uh, pension to live uh, a gypsy life I and mean, not having had a settled uh, childhood in, mm -hmm. in a, a safe place. Uh, mm -hmm. I ended up in my career moving around uh, the world quite a bit. Mm -hmm. My second memoir is a story of uh, Czechoslovak hostesses I, who approached me to help me defect when I was working in Japan at Expo 7 1970. Mm -hmm. And then uh, with my wife, my wonderful wife, once we married, actually we met in Washington, we lived mm -hmm. in uh, Germany and France and Austria and Montevideo, Uruguay. So Hungary again and Canada. So we moved around quite a bit. And you're in Vermont right now, I believe, right? You and I are speaking from the same country. <laughs> right, we're in snowy Vermont, but it's beautiful here. I love it here. And we, we spent half the year here and spent the other half in San Francisco where my daughter lives with our two grandsons. We That's travel very, quite very a bit different. because my son is in Kenya and I go to Kenya. He sort of inherited the gypsy lifestyle too. Uh -huh. I set up shop in uh, Nairobi and just to granddaughters now. So we're actually at the end of the month, we're going out to visit our new granddaughter. So that's quite exciting. That will be exciting. Yeah. So tell me, what advice can you give to people who want to branch out in their writing, who want to take risks, who want to go from one genre to the other, or who want to just try something completely different? Give me your take on that and, and what tips and advice you might have for somebody. Well, I, I think uh, the way I got into writing uh, thrillers was actually again, based on a bit of a life experience. We were living in Vienna at the time, and uh, I was quite taken by The Third Man, which is all around, if anybody's been to Vienna, it's very much a Vienna story, the, uh, the movie, The Third Man, and the, the novel that it's based on. And I just thought it would be uh, fun to do a modern 
take off on it. So I did some research and uh, I mean, there was, uh, at that time, there, were, there was talk of some nuclear material disappearing from a site in Russia where the Soviets had developed a nuclear bomb. And the IAEA, the International Atomic Energy Agency, was set in, uh, uh, it's headquartered in Vienna. So I, I put all that together and I devised this plot. And basically the, the beginning of it is very, Graham Greenesque was the third man-esque and uh, it turned into this novel, The uh, Twisted Reasons. That's the first of the trilogy? Yes, The yes. Twisted Trilogy? Yes, and then, that, then I, I built it into a trilogy, as you say. So once you start doing something like that, you know, your mind is very fertile. And then you, <laughs> you, you do a little, little research and actually the story goes off in different angles from what you plot out initially uh, because you love the research and you need a character to take care of something. So that character takes off in his or her, her own right in a different uh, direction. So uh, I just find the, the process of writing fiction quite uh, quite wonderful and quite intriguing. But start with something that's uh, familiar to you and then try and develop some ideas around and do a little bit of research around the context for it. And then uh, the, the, a story might take shape. And then just build on that. Now, yeah. now this, I have a personal question for you because you talk about your fertile mind and, and all the things that you think about. How do you corral all these ideas? So, you know, you get an idea about this, you get an idea about that. Do you write it down? Does it just stay in your mind? Do you have one of those, not only fertile minds, but very organized minds where you have a mental file cabinet? How do you keep all these things that come to you so that you can use them to write memoirs and poetry and thrillers and short stories and all the other things you write. Well, right now I'm actually working on a, uh, my fifth thriller, which will be the sequel to the early ones. Uh, and it's about uh, conflict in the melting art, uh, Arctic and uh, the fine Arctic. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, 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 Put it aside for a while now, but I, I during, during the night or during my long walks with my wife in Vermont or cross country skiing, some ideas will uh, come, and I, I do jot those down. You do uh, jot them down, uh, and then I work them into the story, um, and uh, that then helps the, the story take place. So right now I'm in that. Now, as you're in where, that story, though, do you get ideas for something else, or when you're working on a story? I mean, I, and I'm guessing that because you write everything else, you must get different ideas. Do you write all of them down, or do you only write down the ones you're working on? Like, do you jot stuff down and then put it away to be pulled out later? Well, well, I usually when I'm working on a novel, it's usually only one novel at a time. Okay. Although I did have another idea for a novel some time ago, and I've, I've put down a very short summary of that, but that's sat, sat on my computer now for four or five years. I haven't yeah. done anything about it. But, but at the same time, as I said, as I'm working on the uh, work of fiction, uh, at, in the, at night when I'm awake, uh, a poem may, may start to gel and I would write it down mm -hmm. and then work it up the next morning into a, a little poem. My poetry tends to be quite short, Mm -hmm. I uh, got into writing haiku in Japan when I was living there, but uh, mm -hmm. so I do write quite a bit of quite a few haiku, but also longer poems. It's generally yeah. poetry that's not rhyming. But uh -huh. for example, my very first volume of poetry called Cello Steers, there's quite a few of the poems uh -huh. in there were inspired by classical music or other works of art. I was trying to see how seeing a painting or hearing a piece of 
music uh, would inspire a feeling in your evoke a feeling in you and then try and put that into words in some way so that's what I was trying to do what I think is really serendipitous is your book is titled Cello's Tears. My dad passed away three years ago and my boyfriend oh, bought lovely. me a cello, so you're a cello for player. Christmas the oh, following fabulous. month. Well, I, I I guess you could call it that very loosely. But the, the month after dad died, he got me a cello for Christmas and I've been taking cello lessons. Isn't that great? And one of the things that I've noticed is that when I, and I've, I've played piano mm -hmm. and, and other instruments throughout my life. But That's one of the favorite. things that I find is I love the sound of the cello. And when I play the cello, I find that I can be more creative mm -hmm. in the hours after right. that. I, I think because... It, it when when you're listening to the music, it's more of a it's more of a right yeah. brain, big picture, open kind of thing than yeah. the details. And um, there's another writer who's been on the the podcast, Eden Bailey, who also mm -hmm. uses music mm -hmm. as her muse. I think there's a lot of that. Another thing that I found too, somebody once told me that when they're working on something, whether they're planning it or writing, they never talk about it with anybody else because when they talk about the thoughts and ideas, it mm -hmm. dilutes them. And then I've talked to other writers who say, oh no, when I'm working something else, I have to talk mm -hmm. about it because if I brainstorm with somebody, it brings all kinds of ideas. And I don't know about you, but I find that they're both true for me mm -hmm. in different mm -hmm. circumstances. I, I find I'm more introspective, more keeping to myself when I write. And then eventually uh, I uh, share my work with uh, my friends or public. Uh, I, I'm doing quite a few poetry readings uh, around Vermont, because I, I, my more, most recent uh, two books have been poetry uh, volumes, and that's why I'm working on another uh -huh. So I've been reading from those uh, poems. And, and the, the, these uh, last two poetry collections, like Extinction and the other one, Extinction Rebellion, they both have a lot of uh, poems uh, that have to do with climate change, which is a very relevant topic now. And, well, thank you so much for visiting with me. It's wonderful how versatile you are. And I think that you give a lot of encouragement to people to broaden their horizons when it comes to writing. So folks can find you on your website, right? Yes. And that, that is your name, gazetatrelier.com. And are you on any other social media platforms? Yes, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and LinkedIn. I'm on all of them. So people can find you everywhere. People are welcome to email me if they're interested. It's g.patralia at gmail.com. All righty. It's great to hear from the public. And thank you again, Linda, for doing this. This has been great. Yeah, thank you. Well, thanks for joining me. It's been very interesting. I could probably pick your brain and talk to you for hours, but... Unfortunately, we have time constraints. <laughs> right, right. And I appreciate that. And thank you again. Okay, thank you. See you All soon. All the best. Bye. Yeah. Have a good day. Bye.